Hello again, everybody, and welcome into another edition of Political Beats, a presentation of National Review. You can find us on Twitter, in fact. Uh, at political underscore beats is our handle. Jump in and join the conversation. And you can please subscribe to our fine feed. New episodes come right to you via Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, iTunes, or of course right there at nationalreview.com. You can click podcast and find all the fine offerings that National Review has to offer, including political beats. And we invite you, of course, to listen enjoy share and leave reviews we have jumped past 200 reviews on itunes you could be number 206 or 207 or wherever we are right now my name is scott bertram you can find me on twitter at scott bertram my tag team partner standing by as always is jeff blair jeff how are you well, what about the voice of Jeffrey B? How did it get so high? I wonder if he speaks like an ordinary guy. I know him, and he does. You're my fact-checking cuz, Scott. <laughs> you can find Jeff on Twitter, at EsotericCD. And our guest for today's show is a professor of law at Notre Dame Law School. Also writes about administrative law, legal interpretation, and philosophy of law. Those things that we find oh so sexy. You can find Please him. Don't leave. <laughs> <laughs> you can find him on on uh, Twitter at Pojanowski, and he is Jeff Pojanowski. Jeff, how are you? I'm doing wonderful. Thanks for having me here today. Thanks for joining us here on the old program. And before we get to the band for today's episode, we'd like to find out a little bit about our guest here on the show, Jeff Pojadowski. Uh, describe, if you if you will, what you do and how you're kind of involved in this political sphere. Well, uh, I, I'm a law professor, so I'm only uh, indirectly involved in politics. I guess I guess depends how you think political law is. Um, I originally wanted to be, I was really interested in politics in high school. I was a, I was a congressional page and I went to college wanting to do social security reform. Um, I was that kind of person. Uh, but then I discovered uh, philosophy, moral philosophy, intellectual history, and decided I wanted to be an academic. Um, I was too much of a dilettante and generalist to go get a PhD, so I went to law school. Uh, and after practicing, uh, clerking and practicing for a while, I uh, threw my hat in the ring and became a law professor. And I've been at Notre Dame for about nine years, and I can't believe they pay me for what I do. I love it. <laughs> and you're right down the street from uh, where I am at Hillsdale College. So I nice jaunt down 69, cut over to 80, and, you know, we're you know, an hour and a half away or so. No, no problem. That's right. Yeah. So uh, Jeff's with us today. We have two Jeffs, wow, on today's show. Uh, Jeff Pojadowski with us today to talk about a little band that are stocked in California. If you ask at least one of the uh, the hosts of today's program, uh, he will tell you it is the best band of the 1990s. Perhaps it's more than one person. We'll find out as we go along today. You're wrecking my reveal. Oh, Come sorry. on, Scott. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. Uh, this is Pavement. Pavement is our band today on Political Beats. And we turn the floor over to Jeff once again to explain, please, why you love Pavement, how you got into them, and why anybody else out there should care about this band. Well, I I became a Pavement fan uh, probably somewhere, I think it was sophomore year of high school. Um, it was 1994. Um, grunge and alternative rock had, uh, had, had taken over. Uh, and... And and, and I, I, it must have been when I saw the the video for Cut Your Hair. Advertising looks and chops a must. No big hair. Songs mean a 
videos they had this show called 120 minutes where they showed uh, i guess what we'd call indie rock videos now and it struck me as kind of a catchy and and cool song and 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 there's another time i got this um comp called no alternative which is uh, the 90s by the way were a time for great uh music compilations <laughs> it seems like evan dando was on everyone um i said it's our version of now that's what they call music or that's what i call music right yes no exactly yeah. um but but pavement had this song called uh, the unseen power of the picket fence on it which we'll talk about later which is kind of talking about rem uh and, and they the seem greatest, kind the greatest of... thumbnail history of the first two years of <laughs> rem's career <laughs> it's, yes they're number one in that category um and it just seemed it seems like a really interesting band and um so i i was getting uh, there's something about you know the grunge music that was going on that didn't quite strike my fancy um partially it, it took itself so seriously uh you know pearl jam was kind of classic rock singing about eddie vedder's childhood um nirvana was punk rock but they hated you know kirk Cobain hated himself rather than society uh and uh, but and and but this is you know this is something different. But it didn't take itself so seriously. Uh, it was weird, um, but uh, but there was kind of a playfulness about it in the way that the weirdness of like Sonic Youth or something didn't have about it. Uh, and 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 you know I didn't come from a family of you know great music lovers. I, I didn't have an older brother. Um, this is before the days the internet was really hot and you could like lurk on the Prodigy music board. So I didn't have access to that much stuff um but then i but kind of stumbling upon this uh, i first got crooked rain crooked rain and i think you could probably there's probably about five or six hundred hours of me in my basement playing it on my disc man <laughs> uh, on repeat hooked up to my computer speaker uh and i just i just went with it from there and i just absolutely loved it uh and i think um so yeah so it's um and, and it's a band you can tell there were two of the two of the band members were former college radio musicians they love music um but they kind of they kind of mix it up uh, and kind of you know almost kind of deconstruct it in a way that's really fun uh, and interesting. Where you have kind of you know pre-punk, post-punk, arena rock, um, all kind of you know mixed together, and uh, uh, and it's it's just it's fantastic. They're the best band of the 1990s. That's as simple as I can start off when I try to explain why pavement matters and, and why they're important. You know, the story of how I got into pavement, uh, maybe I'll save that for when we get to Slanted and Enchanted because uh, I didn't get into them at the time, like unlike Jeff did. Um, and it, by the way, it feels very weird to refer to one of my counterparts <laughs> on the show as Jeff. It's like, I'm, it's like you know, I'm, I'm Michael Jackson looking at the man in the mirror here. Um, but uh, I didn't get into them in the 90s. I got into them when I was in college right basically right before they broke up so that would have been 1998 1999 and i so i came to them sort of you know right after they had 
disbanded. Um, that story I can tell later. What I want to say now, I want to keep this brief because I really want to get into the meat of this band's career, is that they are truly the best band of the 1990s. And I guess that would surprise a lot of people who've listened to the show, who follow me on Twitter, listen to me talk about music from that era. The sort of blithe assumption that you would make is that, oh, well, it, Jeff, Jeff Blair, he thinks Radiohead is the best band of the 1990s. Not true. Radiohead, one of my favorite bands of all time as well, as anybody who's listened to our episode on Radiohead would know. Uh, but Radiohead's decade was not the 1990s. Radio's, Radiohead's decade was the 2000s with the stuff that they did after OK Computer. Meanwhile, Pavement single-handedly owned this decade. They, they, they ran as a proposition recording and releasing music from 1989 to 1999. So it's actually a perfect 10-year bracket in their career. And uh, from that beginning to that end they had exactly one misfire which was their final album we'll get to i don't think any of us have particularly warm thoughts for it and i think even the band realized that you know that the, the, the game was up the string had been played out by that point but other than that the consistency the brilliance the genius of all of the music they put out not just their albums but their B-sides, their you know, off-cuttings, the, you know, the albums, the cuts that they gave away to compilation albums, as Jeff already just talked about with Unseen Power of the Picket Fence. If Pavement played a BBC session, you wanted to hear that BBC session. If they played a random radio show, you wanted to hear that radio show. I have... 45 pavement bootlegs you know some of them incredibly drunken fuddling things where gary young is doing handstands and handing out cabbage during the middle of the show <laughs> they're still compelling they're amazingly compelling musical act and the reason for that is because Stephen Malkmus, primarily Malkmus is the songwriter, Scott Canberg, they were childhood friends in Stockton, California. They were the two people who first formed Pavement and then the rest of the band kind of grew around them. These guys cared so much about melody even though they wanted to make you think that they didn't. The whole slacker aesthetic, the whole lo-fi sheen that their initial approach had, it was a diversion. It was it was a sleight of hand, the way that the magician, you know, ex-magician who still knows the tricks. Well, the trick for pavement is that they made you think that they didn't care and then they were too cool for school. But the truth of the matter is these guys cared so much about coming up with interesting music, fantastically memorable melodies, and, you know, putting it all together into a package that just never, ever dates. listening to this music now for over 20 years and it's never gotten old for me if i had to think of any criticism that would be leveled against pavement that i thought was fair i think you know maybe the thing that, that people ding them the most on that i ha I, I would grant has some purchase is their lyrics 
Malcolmus in particular has a tendency towards, towards these sort of like insouciant, semi-nonsensical lyrics. If you listen to them singing songs like Range Life or Stop Breathing Live, you know, like sometimes the lyrics change from night to night. So they might give you the impression like, oh, you know, it's all just sound. It's like, you know, John Anderson babbling. And yes, it's, 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 it's syllables that don't have any particular meaning. But I would even argue against that, that Malcolmus, you know, because he came from that arty lo-fi aesthetic that hipster background that he was um in the words of matt walther a friend of mine writes for the week uh we were talking about gold sounds once and he's like you know why do they put the z at the end of gold sounds he's like well it's almost like stephen malcolmus said to himself like do i really want to try to care like i'm afraid to be seen caring um, that's what pavement's lyrics were really about in a lot of ways where, where Malcolmus really did encode serious emotions in them but he hid them in a way that made them almost inaccessible and then the rest of it was almost very kind of breezy funny jokey snark but there's truth hidden in those lyrics and you know even if you argue with that proposition which you can't argue with is that this music is some of the best music of the 1990s there are four albums slanted and enchanted crooked rain wowie zowie bright in the corners Every one of those I would take to a desert island with me. Not only with that, I'd take their deluxe two CD reissues <laughs> with me. This is how great this band was. I'm just so excited to be discussing them today. Can I inter- interject real quick? Absolutely. Um, so uh, I, I agree with everything uh, Jeff, the other Jeff said. Or I guess I'm the other Jeff on this show now. <laughs> um, but, uh, so just I refer think- to yourself as OJ. That's right. OJ, <laughs> exactly. Uh, so I think, I think one of the reasons that the band is so important for me is, so, you know, I have, I have two, I have two siblings, an older sister, younger sister. My older sister was not really into music. Um, I, you know, my parents like show tunes. I, I, you know, the radio was pretty much all I had. And pavement for me was kind of like the, the cool older brother. Um, it was a gateway drug to a lot of other kind of music I really like. Uh, I didn't get in, until, it wasn't until later in high school or early in college that I got into post-punk or, you know, punk or pre-punk or alt-country. Uh, and in many ways, Pavement introduced me um, to all of those. And they present them in their own kind of weird way. If it's like, you know, you go to those fancy restaurants and they give you, like, deconstructed apple pie. Uh, it's, like, good and different. Um, and you go back and have regular, regular apple pie. Um, but Pavement kind of introduced me to a whole bunch of genres of music, but there, but it's also uniquely their own. Um, and it doesn't get old. And I think, and I, and I think the genre of music it kind of launched, you know, the kind of pitchforky stuff, like, you know, ironic bands with, with animals in their names, like never really, you know, stuck with me. Uh, but pavement feels timeless. I've been listening and I've, I've listened to them for a while, but I've been listening to them intensely for the past two or three weeks, getting ready for this. And it, you know, it's kind of a weird space to be in your head. Um, but it, you're right. It does not get old and it's so good. Um, and it's, uh, and it's timeless in, in, in its own way. Now I'm just thinking about pavement as the molecular gastronomy of music. <laughs> in the 90s. Exactly. I like it. I like it. Exactly. <laughs>
they would probably hate that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they would. They would. That would. It's exactly the kind of thing that Stephen Mountain was with wretch if you heard us talking about. Anyway, Scott, I just want to mention a few things uh, before we we jump into the music because most of this, you know, most of this will come up in the, in the span of of the albums and the and the EPs. Pavement is not a band that I, uh, uh, I guess, grew up with much like much like Jeff. I mean, Jeff, <laughs> Jeff and I are this, like the exact same age. And people don't know we were, you know, we're both what thirty eight now, and we're in college from ninety eight to two or so and yeah that's because you sound like an old man scott and, and i sound you know, like an adenoidal teen okay? my, my wife when we first met she had heard me on the radio before she met me in person and we were trading notes and she said that, that guy's that guy's a nice guy but scott bertram's got to be like 58 years old and i was 20 28 at the time so she was only off about 30 years there's no big deal um but so our experience with a lot of bands is similar and for me much like Jeff, I did not uh, get into pavement at the time of the albums being released through the 90s. That was my big classic rock phase. So I was back uh, back in the 70s during that point for, for most of that time. But uh, when I got to college, uh, the college radio station, of course, played a good deal of pavement. And my roommate, Andy, was a huge pavement fan. And uh, going back through the catalog now, the full catalog now in preparation for the show, I was reminded... How many songs have been lodged in my mind for years and years and years because of how often he played them uh, in our dorm room? A um, couple notes quickly. I, one of the things that I noticed going back through the catalog is if you are a fan of, of 90s rock at all, you should like Pavement because uh, I keep making, you know, I make these notes on songs as we go through the process. And, and there's so many notes of of like this is the the, the, the best uh, the best version of this type of 90s rock where you know the, the, there's a little bit of this in this song and uh, so much of, of everything that made the 90s rock happen is reflected in pavement's music um, they were they were a little weird and a little strange but that strangest did not overwhelm the band like it did at least in my opinion from like the flaming lips I think their their oddness and off kilterness almost overshadowed the music they were putting out at times and i don't think that's the case with pavement at all they were they were odd and they were weird and they weren't afraid to do some some uh, uh some some strange things but largely in service to the song um and as jeff p just mentioned this stuff really holds up i mean it, uh, um i think it really holds up well especially the the later albums that have a little more uh, production sheen to them uh, where they kind of figured out exactly what they wanted to do uh, not so much Terror Twilight but 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 uh, you know Wowie Zowie and 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 uh, Bright in the Corners I think those two just hold up so so well this is not dated music it doesn't sound like you know uh, what Creed or, or you know the grunge <laughs> of that era where where you can we can pinpoint exactly what year it was released well, you know, to be fair, Scott, I think the only band that can compare to Pavement in that era is Jars of Clay. Oh, well, yeah, they used to say too. Exactly. <laughs> I, I was more, I was thinking more Candlebox. Candlebox, Candlebox yes, man, yeah. or Silverchair. Yeah. Silverchair, don't don't sleep on them. Okay. No. <laughs> so, uh, for all those reasons, I, I think uh, if you're not familiar with the band, you'll enjoy this dive into their catalog. I mean, I guess at that point, I should just give the the brief intro story to who these people are and how they came together. Uh, I think maybe one of the reasons why Pavement were, were super hip and too cool for school is that they were born originally came, you know, to be came formed together in one of the un most uncool places on the planet namely Stockton, California uh, for people who aren't aware of the geography of California. Imagine if you were living in Northern California, but it wasn't the cool part of Northern California No, it was inland 
It was not anywhere near San Francisco or Oakland. It was the closest city that, that Stockton is anywhere near is Sacramento. Sacramento is incredibly lame. It's Northern nothing, California's version of the valley. It is, yeah, ex- exactly. It is It is a, a basically a nowheresville city, um, you know, where the, nothing has happened. I'm trying to think, like, what would the analog to be uh, if, uh, if it were talking about, like, my Washington, D.C. area upbringing? It's Wheaton, it would be Maryland. Like, Wheaton. Oh, I was going to say Silver Spring, but Wheaton's even better. That's so perfect. Yes. Imagine a band forming in Wheaton, Maryland uh, and becoming the coolest band on the block. Well, that's what happened. He had two childhood friends, Stephen Malcolmus, Scott Canberg, basically said, look, let's just get together in, in our garage and, you know, make some music play some tunes, record some stuff. And the original idea behind Pavement is that they would just be a strictly recording proposition, not a live band, not even a band, just them. So they got together and they started making weird noise because, you know, they didn't really know what to do. They just knew what they liked. And then they found a guy. They wanted to record some tracks and they said, well, where do we go? And there was a local hippie burnout who had a studio in his house, a guy by the name of Gary Young, who's like about 10 years older than this guy was like a 70s flower, you know, ex, you know, whatever, sort of flower power warmed over, <laughs> you know, LSD burnout dude. Uh, and he said, like, yeah, not only can I be your producer, but I can also play drums on some of these tracks, too. So what they what do they do? They ended up recording their first EP and the first EP comes out in 1989. And it's strictly a studio proposition and the name of it is called slay tracks we should probably take these first three eps all at one go they're all available on a compilation called westing by musket and sextant Uh, the first three eps they're all kind of prior to pavement's emergence as like a you know a a live act a real big proposition but it's uh slay tracks it's demolition plot j7 and then the last one is called perfect sound forever this is sort of the the embryonic phase of pavement i think a lot of people who who start with slanted and enchanted look back on this stuff and think ah that's just a little bit too weird for me that's a little bit too lo-fi it really does sound like stuff that was recorded in someone's garage but uh, i i gotta admit i I love this stuff. I, I love m- my favorite kind of pavement is actually usually pretty weird pavement. And I think the entire concept of the band can be heard right there from that first EP. The first song is called You're Killing Me. And it's them, you know, Canberg and Mountain West playing these very, very ragged, jagged guitars. Uh, but once you get past all of the white noise and the fuzz and the hiss that's sort of there, almost designed to throw you off the track, you realize there's a song here. There's a song here and there are melodies here. There's a chord change, there's a progression, there's something going on underneath it. And then boom, right after that, you get one of the most melodic and peaceful things they ever wrote called 
Box Elder, which is actually about a place. There's a town in Montana called Box Elder, although they, they get it wrong. They said, I'm going to go back to Box Elder M.O. Uh, instead it's of not Missouri. So, <laughs> yeah, it's not Missouri. You know, Stephen, Stephen, you should have you should have looked it up first. Uh, but that first EP, which is weird and very bracing and very difficult, uh, is the same with the second one. Those are those are kind of like the really kind of inchoate stages of pavement. And I get that a lot of people are going to have issues with that. But when you talk about stuff like you're killing me or box elder or in particular there's a song on the second ep called demolition plot um the e the song is called forklift and i love it it was one of their favorite live jams uh they, they this is a song like you know when i talk about like well pavement's lyrics sometimes get dismissed as being meaningless this song has meaning this song is about a guy who like basically you know like he's living at home with his mom he, he drops out of school because he wants to have like you know you know agency in his life what does he do he gets a job working at you know at, at a factory or in, in a warehouse moving a forklift you know mother says no can't i for forklift me why because i need the money and it's my work, my time. It's my life, not hers. And then, you know, and then he like gets drunk and he goes to Vegas. He blows his money and then he realizes he's back on the forklift. And at the end of it, he's just like, get me off of this forklift, Mr. Kramer. Get me off of this effing forklift, which is the way he would sing it live. That song really still stands up and it really holds up. I don't know if you guys think this early stuff is too raw for uh, general consumption, but it's still, I got a real soft spot for it. Yeah. I mean, I, so when I, uh, had, I listened to, you know, Crooked Rain and Crooked Rain, Crooked Rain, Crooked Rain and Slanted and Enchanted. And then I, uh, there's a little record store in my town that actually sold uh, pretty decent independent music in, in suburban New Jersey. It's a really small place. I got, a, I got a copy of this. I put it in my disc man and I was like, what the heck is, uh, is going on? Uh, but going back and, you know, listening to it a little bit more, um, I find a lot more to like uh, in there. It's, you know, it's not for everyone, but I'm with you uh, on Box Elder. It's so catchy and wonderful. In fact, it helped, it actually helped make them famous in England. Uh, the British band Wedding Present did a cover of the song and John Peel played it a lot. Uh, and that's how Pavement got introduced uh, to the UK. Voice. Maybe 
Um, but I'm with you on your bigger kid. pavement was bigger in Britain than they ever were in the U.S. commercially, <laughs> which is just one of those hilarious ironies. <laughs> yeah. And and I'm with you on and you're killing me. I love the little guitar transit uh, transition between the verses. There's you know there's a really a neat melody and structure nestled here amid the noise and the nonsense. Um, and I also like Spizzle Truck. It's a, like a fun little lo-fi punkish number that has a California swing. It checks in at a, I think like a minute and 23 seconds. Uh, and then finally on, on perfect sound forever, I just love debris slide. It's got kind of like a opens up with like a New York dolls kind of swagger. And then it has that kind of catchy bop, bop, bada bop verse and the kind of a mm-hmm. kind of a wandering guitar that you can only kind of describe as hostile. <laughs> and there's just this great snotty delivery by Malcolmus. Um, I actually, I actually consider perfect sound to be almost like of a different age than those first yeah. three because that, that to me is like when it all comes together, I don't think there's a wasted song on that. And you, by the way, debris slide, the thing I love about that, this is another song they play live all throughout their career, but nothing ever quite sounds like that studio version where they're not really a band they're just a bunch of guys overdubbing stuff so you get all these weird like snaky snarly guitars doing these like nonsensical overdubs that somehow just make sense and of course the lyrics mean nothing i mean i don't even know what debris slide (laughs) is i think it was like a pile of trash they had in their room that suddenly tipped over and that was the debris slide but uh you know this is what i mean about like don't overanalyze some of these early lyrics they're uh they're kind of there for the laughs It's uh, to me interesting as a uh, as a historic document, but I don't uh, don't intentionally return to these uh, these songs very often because of that uh, production, because of the way they they sound. And and to be honest, the the songs I think are highlights literally were just mentioned by uh, Jeff, uh, both Jeffs mentioning Box Elder, which is uh, uh, one of the first things they they wrote together, and it, it just had a great sunny guitar line and kind of reminds me of sonic youth around the time uh spizzle trunk i think both of you guys mentioned that one too is a very up-tempo buzzy guitar and rockabilly piano debris slide yes also on my list great drums from gary on debris slide and the other one i don't know if you either of you mentioned was uh uh internal k dart which um, is very loud and and very noisy, but I think there's a really interesting guitar part happening, uh, kind of underneath that noise. The the, the lyrics, the vocals, all sort of are buried way back in the mix, but it's an interesting listen at least. Um, those are the ones I highlight. And again, this is uh, this is early stuff. Once you've once you've you know devoured everything else put out by the band, you can find out where they started. But I don't I'm not sure it's exactly a place where anyone would want to start one. And at least for me, return to all that often. I mean, I think you would want to start there just so you understand what comes next. And I think, by the way, it's uh, important to spend a little time on Perfect Sound Forever. That's the third EP. And the reason, first of all, that's a great title. Perfect Sound Forever. This is from a lo-fi band that, again, is recording you know, in a garage with a hippie burnout doing their producing tasks and uh, their engineering and playing 
drums, sloppy drums, um, at all at the same time. Uh, but every song on that is a song. Heckler Spray and From Now On, that's like a suite that flows together. But then there's the Angel Carver Blues, um, you know, mellow jazz docent section. I love that. Debris Slide, Home. These are all songs. There's no, there's a couple of little like recorder grot pieces that are just like little like sound blips and bloops. Like they're on aliens. Yeah. Ex- exactly. <laughs> Krelvid user. Is it, by the way, is that like a Scientology? Is that a, is an L. Ron Hubbard reference? It feels like it is. Uh, I, I think it is. I don't know. I thought it was like a, a play on Dianetics. I never really got that. But um, but when you listen to that and then you listen to what comes next, which is the album that would make them the indie darlings of the world, which is called Slanted and Enchanted, uh, you understand the progression perfectly because they both sound of a piece. They both have the same sound. And this is all still kind of – it's not pavement's prehistory because Slanted and Enchanted was released in 1992, but it was recorded a year earlier than that in 1991. It's still kind of part of their – sonic prehistory gary young is the drummer for the band the band is really just the three of them it's it's young it's malkmus and it's canberg and i don't even know if uh mark eibold is on this on bass yet i'd have to check it's funny that i should know something like that i don't think i, you know, I, I don't, don't think, think so. he was on for the recording no. but he joined the band after it was recorded i think maybe on the tour when it was released exactly exactly but this album was in the can for a year before it was released in 1992 they signed with matador records a new york label so they kind of like sort of got shuffled into that new york hipster indie band bag which is funny because they're really californians um uh but slanted and enchanted is the album that a friend of mine when I was in college, I was a freshman in college and uh, my friend, my high school friend, Akshay, wherever you are, Akshay Ahuja, if you're out there, salute my brother. Uh, he said, Jeff, there's uh, a really great album I recommend that you get. It's called Slanted and Enchanted by Pavement. At this time, I'm still classic rock kind of an oriented dude. Uh, I, I go out and buy it because I respect his opinion. When I get it and I put it on, uh, uh, I hear Summer Babe. I'm like, whatever. I trigger cut. I'm like, okay. Uh, and then I hear No Life Singed Her, which is literally just this crazy person screaming, shrieking <laughs> curse words into my ear with the hardest, like most poorly recorded like guitar riff ever coming out of the other channel. I literally thought he'd punked me. I thought he had played a practical joke on me. not understand what this crap music was how terrible it was how could anybody like this i guess i just resigned myself i was like you know what i'm gonna go listen to some more super tramp because this this <laughs> this, this cool music is not for me and i put give it me away breakfast in america yeah exactly give me give me goodbye stranger here i want my smooth my smooth valsetto jams i don't want to listen to uh zurich is stained or chesley's little wrists and then what happened is like a year and a half later, after becoming in obsessed with like post-punk and some of the much more avant-garde sounds that came out of that era, I came back to this because I thought, well, it is supposed to be a classic, right? 
And I listened to it again, and suddenly everything clicked, and it made such sense to me. It is widely considered to be one of the greatest debut albums of all time. But it's fascinating that this is an album that was basically recorded in a box. This is an album recorded not by a live band, but by three guys, maybe four guys who are just like kind of overdubbing tracks and, and like, you know, doing stuff, you know, in their spare time. And what you end up with is the album Slanted and Enchanted, which is as inscrutable lyrically as anything Pavement would ever record. But still remains, I think Malcolmus considers it their greatest album. I think Canberg maybe even considers it their greatest album too. Maybe they, they have that sort of belief in the, you know, the innocence of youth, the purity of the early years. I don't anymore think that it's their greatest album, but I am so impressed by it. And the one song that I have to say that, that impresses me above all else is Trigger Cut, uh, which I would say is one of my five favorite pavement songs of all time. I don't think that pavement ever wrote. This is, this is the hook. This is the moment I got into it. It wasn't with Summer Babe, which is the, the single, and it opens the album. It's Trigger Cut, where I, this chord progression, you know, it starts off with like, you know, a vamp, you know, and then it goes Lies and Betrayals, Fruit Covered Nails, <laughs> Electricity and Lust, and then it breaks into these beautiful overdubbed guitars, and then you hear a chord sequence that no one else has ever written and no one else will ever write, and yet is as incredibly and perfectly satisfying a pop progression as rock ever spit out in the 1990s. And that was the moment where pavement literally came into focus for me. song so fondly for the rest of my life just because that was the moment where I fell in love with the band that would end up becoming one of my favorite bands of all time. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm with you on this one, Scott. Uh, or excuse me, Jeff. Um, I think you know this is probably one of the you know probably one of the most important albums of the '90s. Um, again, I'm not sure it's my favorite uh, Pavement album, but it's it's really really good. Um, uh, you know, Steve Malkmus was a huge fan of The Fall, and uh, Scott Canberg loved The Replacements, and they kind of both fuse together here in a way that's um, uh, that that's really good and uh, and 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 really special. Um, uh, Trigger Cut. I remember um, you know one of the one of the a job I had when I was in high school. I used to uh, flip burgers at the snack stand at the town pool. Um, we used to play music on uh, on the on the little boombox there. And one of my coworkers, um, 
who had excellent taste, uh, went on to be like a really, really great uh, photographer and artist. Um, I, I was playing this and he turns like, what is this? I'm like, it's this weird band I found. Uh, cause I had Crooked Rain, Crooked Rain, and then I adventurously moved on to Slanted and Enchanted and Trigger Cut. It's just, it's, it's something special. And I, I still to this day wonder when they're talking about fruit covered nails, whether they're talking about fingernails or the things you hammer into walls. Um, but, uh, so I, I also love, um, in the mouth of a desert, uh, it's, it's got uh, it's so perfectly constructed. It's got this wonderful bass groove, and again, Canberg I think is playing bass because they haven't added uh, a bassist. But and then you've got this kind of plaintive crescendo where he talks about you know I've been crowned the king of id, and it is all we have. So wait, makes no sense, but the way he sings it uh, is wonderful, and you get that a neat little solo. <laughs> Another song I love is "Here." It's uh, it's it's the closest we get to something that at least sounds like a sentimental love song uh, by Pavement. It's like I don't know a, if it's a love song, but it definitely has. It feels like one. It, it sounds like one. It, it, it has like, emotional import. When he's like, "I was dressed for success, but success it never came." You know, yeah. <laughs> it's a great line. <laughs> and I'm the only one who laughs at your jokes when they are so bad. And your uh, jokes are always always bad. bad. <laughs> but it's not as bad as this. Uh, so it's like an, it, but it sounds like an indie rock version of Santo and Johnny's sleepwalk. It almost has this kind of like 1950s uh, feel to it. And the second and third verses, like the way they sung are just so beautiful. The notes kind of ascending in this kind of uh, minor key. that just kind of like confused me uh, early on because you know I was kind of a basic normie guy who went on to become a law professor I was not the coolest kid in the world uh, I'd never heard anything like conduit for sale before mm -hmm. um, you have 
some guys screaming, I'm trying, I'm trying over and over again and doing absurd <laughs> spoken word over this mosh pit like rhythm. And, and you wonder like, what does it mean to sell a conduit? And like, do you, you become a member of a conduit? Does he mean a condo <laughs> unit? Um, at this point you realize like, you know, trying to figure out what he's talking about. It's a fool's errand. Um, maybe he's just trying and he's just high uh, as he says, in, as he says in the song. But um, uh, th- that's, you know, that's another one that uh, sticks out for me. I mean, the other thing about conduit for sale that, that you know, has to be remarked upon is, and this, this kind of got them some flack, particularly in the UK, is that it's, it might as well be entitled New Face in Hell Part 2. Yeah. Um, it, it's, a, a, you know, I don't know if you guys are, maybe our listeners are, I don't know, I hope they are familiar with The Fall. Great band, yeah. band I'm a huge fan of. Um, it, it, the rap on Pavement early on is like, oh, these guys just ripped off the fault. They didn't. The Pavement was so much more obsessed with melody and song construction, formal virtues of songwriting than the fall ever were. The fall were all about repetition. But on a couple of Pavement songs, you absolutely see that fall influence. Hit the plane down from Crooked Rain is another one where you hear it. Uh, but absolutely on Conduit for Sale, that is the same same thing is the opening riff for new face in hell which is same basic thing repurposed and then of course the you know the declaiming as opposed to singing you know the weird person shrieking i'm trying i'm trying in your ears like he's jabbing a screwdriver into your you you know your timpani um that is very fall like And it kind of got them this rap as fall imitators, which was undeserved because they're so many. Well, well, Malcolm will we'll admit, he said like a couple of songs like, yeah, we pretty much ripped off the fall on that one. Sure, um, of course. But like they're, 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 <laughs> Two States is another one that's very fall-like. That's a Scott Canberg song. But like there are so many other songs on this that are that are based around the melody. In the Mouth of Desert, that's a very melodic song. Yes, yes. Zurich is Stained is one of those quiet little weird oddball numbers that nobody talks about. But if you actually listen to that chorus, you, know, you think it's easy, but you're not. I'm not one half of the problem. Zurich is standing. It's not my fault. That is a really clever melody that is played with a sort of lackadaisical approach that makes you not realize how well written a melody it is. And then, of course, there's Loretta Scars. And I would talk about this, but I know Scott is a fan of it. So I want to leave him the opportunity to say something first. <laughs> well, this uh, I, I from the very first moment of this uh, album, uh, you, you have that, that stripped-down, lo-fi production sound, which, I mean, dozens and dozens of bands would then try to replicate in the, in the, in the, in the coming years. Uh, and for them, it was just it was the way it was done. They weren't in debt to any sort of producer's sound, or no, no one came in to, to, uh, um, uh, to improve what they were doing, so to speak. It was just them. This is, this is how it sounded. This is how they were recorded. And that's very evident from you know, that very first uh, song, summer. Band, we've made this. We've album. made this joke before, but the producer was basically just like a giant bag of marijuana. That was the. Producer <laughs> he actually for paid album. for his. He paid for his recording equipment by selling weed. I think, uh, and when, at least when they were recording the opening EPs, the 
the, the equipment was in the garage and he had to like hit record and then run into another room and get behind the drum kit. <laughs> it's like Gary you. Young for you folks. The legend of Gary Young. We're going to we're going to talk a little more about that in a second. But anyway, Scott, he was, what were you saying? He was the guy who would, you know, set the uh, the uh, automatic uh, picture uh, setting on the camera. No one does that anymore, I guess. But, you know, back in yeah. the 90s, he had to set the, you know, all right, I'm coming into the frame. I'm running in. Wait, 10 <laughs> seconds. Um, so you get you have that here on on Slanted and Enchanted. You know, much like you guys, I, I um this is not my favorite pavement album. In fact, it's 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 probably I don't like it any more than I do the next three. In fact, I think the, I like the the next three more. But it, it is unique. Uh, I think in each each of the albums, pavement really uh, they didn't take out a new identity, but they were always evolving. And so this this is this is where they were for this album. Um, it is kind of a laid back. Um, sunny alternative to a lot of what was happening in grunge. I've read uh, a review at some point. Uh, noise you can hum along to, right? Um, yeah, you know, it was it was not quite. It was not terribly mel- melodic at first listen, but but it but the melody was there and and the craftsmanship was there on a lot of these songs. Um, you know, on the album, Trigger Cut is certainly a, a highlight. I like some of the back uh, songs, back half songs. Uh, Perfume V is, is one I like a lot. Uh, Jackals, False Grails, uh, kind of like an electronic affectation a little bit on that one. Um, and and Loretta Scars, as as Jeff mentioned just a, a second ago, is maybe my favorite on the album. I also uh, do love In the Mouth, A Desert, with both, uh, which both you guys mentioned. Uh, that one might be my favorite too, but Loretta Scars is a very fuzzy sound to it. Uh, the song about Kind of a sweet, confused, sad song about this girl named Loretta. It's really nice, uh, really nice song. Most of the album, it, it's what they it's what they end up producing. These are these are really good songs, and they they knew um, what they wanted to produce without any sort of outside pressures, uh, and it kind of shines through. I think on Slanted and Enchanted, which is very very good. I just think they get better. I mean, there's nothing wrong with I think saying that uh, that they they just get better from here. Yeah. I, I, It's a a great album, uh, and it actually hangs together as an album. It feels like an album. It's not a collection of songs. Um, But I I, I think, um, I think, you know, maybe they're feeling their influences a little bit too much uh, on this one. You know, it's not it's not a fall ripoff project or anything like that. Um, But I think I think Scott's right in that they kind of grow and become a little more creative um, in, in the upcoming albums. But this is nevertheless, you know, it's it's a really important and great base uh, that they start from. I mean, they get better almost immediately. And I guess this yeah. is the point where I have to make the plea to people. First of <laughs> all, everybody, please go get into pavement. No matter how many songs we excerpt on this show, we're not going to be able to excerpt enough because I think this is a band whose consistency is so remarkable. 
remarkable that it is their primary appeal. And there's no better way for me to sort of explain that by saying um, all of Pavement's albums, their first four albums, Terror Twilight has not been reissued, but the first four albums have been reissued in these double CD sets that include not only the album, but a second disc. Both discs are stuffed full of rarities. Mm-hmm. B-sides, EPs, BBC sessions, stuff that they gave away to like other compilations, concert material. I cannot emphasize enough how incredible the music that they did not put onto their albums is. And there, you know, it becomes immediately apparent when you listen to what did not make slanted and enchanted there's b-side called baptist black tick which is this hilarious like you know forty thousand mile a second shrieking freak out like i'm just waiting waiting for the baptist that's that sucker left me in damascus that's a good one there's you know the alternate version of here with all the guitars up in the mix there's these incredible bbc sessions including stuff that would actually only ever get recorded by the silver jews stuff like secret knowledge of Backroads, um songs that they never otherwise recorded in their studio career circa 1762 rain ammunition things like that but then and then even most importantly there's an there's an ep the last ep they recorded with gary young gary young never quite fit with the rest of the band at this point pavement has decided well we got to go play some shows we got some hype we got to professionalize what do they do they hire mark eibold on bass mark eibold will later go on and play bass with sonic youth actually after pavement disbanded um they get uh uh one of steven steve malkmus's old friends bob nastanovich who i love because he, he didn't really actually play that much on the studio stuff but his role in the live <laughs> stuff is just to, to be standing just be a really avuncular friendly presence <laughs> and like bang angrily on a cowbell and scream stuff like debris slide you know <laughs> I, I love the bob nastanovich phenomena so his job i think was to help gary Gary Young keep time. Uh, yes. so they gave him like an extra drum and he banged. Uh, like when and he Gary Young got yep. too drunk or like left the kit because he was like going into the audience, they wanted Bob there, right? And he would, and then he would just yell things. And um, and the best part is, you know, he's just in the band because he was like Steve Malkus's old college radio buddy. And you know, as being, uh, you know, I've once been a superfluous rhythm guitar artist in a band because of my friends. So I I appreciate the Bob Nastaniviches of the world, uh, who by the way has since on gone on to become an excellent horse racing handicapper, which. I Yes, the guy. The guy is like guy is like a Kentucky Derby fanatic, and 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 you'd be shocked how many times horse racing references work their way secretly into pavement songs strictly because of Bob. All right, and 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 Eyeball joined the band because they were um he was. uh, Malcolmus was a, a security guard of the Whitney Museum, right? Uh, and Eibold like was was a guard as well and liked the music, uh, and then he just became their bassist. It was a it was, it was a pretty organic uh, situation. And and suddenly they have a band and they get big. They get big in England in particular because John Peel, God bless him, may he rest in peace. John Peel loved Pavement got them in constantly to record sessions as you said you know the wedding president recorded box elder they got to be like you know, like a hit thing in london so they went there and they played shows they recorded those sessions and then what do they do well what they did is they went back in the studio for their last sessions with gary young now normally this would just be a footnote if it were not for the fact that the ep that they recorded is something known as the watery domestic ep you'll know it because it has a picture of a rooster on the cover a <laughs> uh, rooster with like weird you know esoteric scratching drawings all over the top of it um and what it is i think a lot of people might argue is 
the essence of everything that made pavement great boiled down into four songs. Four songs. Texas Never Whispers, Frontwards, Lions, and then the most wonderful, glorious song ever, Shoot the Singer, One Sick Verse. Jeff, I know you love this EP as much as I do, so why don't we talk about this before we move on to Crooked Rain and like sort of the, the, the new era of pavement. Oh, it's it's perfect. Um, you know, Texas Never Whip Whispers, uh, which, by the way, is a great name for a song, uh, and it's kind of true about Texas. Um, it opens with this high pitch guitar. Um, it kind of shriek that fades into this kind of good, steady, churning, you know, mid tempo song. Um, and it kind of shows that even if Pavement's you know, known as a lo fi band, uh, they're so careful in the construction and layering of their songs, you know, both in terms of layering the sound at any given time and developing it through the track. Like, there's like little movements here. There's there's like three short songs in three minutes, but they uh, uh, they hang together. And uh, Frontwards is is great. It, it's kind of it's cut from the same cloth as uh, circa 1762, which you mm-hmm. uh, which you mentioned before. It's got this great line that says, you know, I've got style miles and miles, so much style and it's wasted. Uh, <laughs> and it sounds so like much a style it's wasted. And it sounds like a big, like a, a Beck fake brag, um, but I'm not sure they're joking. Uh, and and mind you, this, this is like a year or two like before Beck even released his first album. It has this kind of like Odelay uh, feel to the lyrics. Um, like Feed Under the Lions of Linden, I think is basically just throwing shade on like people's love for high school football uh and but it's great and but my favorite is is shoot the singer um it's and it's a preview of sorts of what's coming up in crooked rain it's sunny it's, it's bouncy kind of uh it kind of bounces along it's got this clean little beautiful figure guitar figures on the verses uh trading back and forth with kind of a harsh you know distorted guitar in the chorus uh and then of course you know the plaintiff yells slow it down song is sacred uh it's that's the model of pavement's career that is that is my single favorite lyric in their entire career which is exactly what stephen mountain was basically would do with pavement and his solo career for the rest of his life is a big leap forward uh sonically um it's, it, i think the songs sound so much better which uh uh improves on the uh, production in my mind from from slanted and and enchanted um for me I and mean, there's only four tracks here but the highlight track here is is frontwards which i think is just fantastic um 
very strong bass line pr- propelling the song. It's really incredible guitar part in the left channel, if you listen with headphones, as, as I do most of the time. And that this guitar, he's got it so it sounds almost like a, like it's ringing like an alarm. It's just outstanding. Uh, it's the two cool chorus and just that warm thump, warm thump of a beat. Uh, front words to me is 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 the best track on this EP. I am the only one searching for you, and if I get caught, then the search is. brings us to the modern era of pavement what happens they go out on tour they go back out on tour they try to record songs for their next album gary young says hey i got a studio it's coming together the sounds there are some songs of them these that have been released on the uh, crooked rain reissue um they don't sound that good it, it, it doesn't seem to be coming together then they go like have to tour i think australia and new zealand or something like that they go to, to europe at the end of it and in copenhagen well gary young's been drinking a little too much and i think he actually pulls a gun on the band or something like that <laughs> he brandishes a weapon let's say you know the, 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 there's a lot of mythology here nobody's really entirely certain about what happened but it was abundantly clear that gary wasn't going to continue with this group he was just a, he was 10 years older than the rest of them they were like young indie punks he wanted to you know get rich he wanted to make it big this is you know it was his time and, and I guess he, they actually they're all still friendly believe it or not to this day they he'll he's come on and played shows with them during their reunion tour um but uh gary leaves and so what happens well they find another guy guy called steve west who was a friend of bob mistanovich's and stephen mountain i think back that new york connection and uh then, well, actually, I'm wrong. It was Steve West who worked at the Whitney, not Bob. Sorry. It was. Right. Yeah. Uh, but Bob and Steve had been friends in New York yeah. for a while, too. Yeah. Um, and so they literally not only upgrade and get a very professional sounding drummer, but more importantly, they suddenly decide to get a professional sounding production. And this is the moment where Pavement as a lo-fi band ceases to be a thing. There's nothing lo-fi about Crooked Rain, Crooked Rain. Uh, this is their second album. This is their, I would say, maybe their most celebrated album. Uh, this is an album about which I have basically no criticisms that I can reasonably offer in any way. And before I go on my incredibly long spiel about how great Crooked Rain is, I want to let one of you two guys get your thoughts in first. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll take Crooked Rain, Crooked Rain uh, first and let, and let you guys go. It, 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 it's just a lovely sounding record. Um, the, the production has improved, as Jeff just mentioned. Uh, the songs are fantastic. There's, in, there's a, a general, uh, there's, there's kind of this back and forth between optimism and, and melancholy, which, uh, uh, which kind of weave their way through the record. Uh, the new drummer, Steve West, is very, very good. Uh, I think he would even get better on, on uh, the next album, Wowie Zowie. But uh, the songs here are really good. And I will tell you that as much as I, I do like Slanted and Enchanted, it didn't um, 
It didn't grab me by the lapels and shake me. Uh, but there's portions on Crooked Rain, Crooked Rain that do. And the very first part is that long guitar play out on Stop Breathing, which is early on in the album. Um, you know, it's got one of the great uh, Steve Malkmus little couplets, the write it on a postcard, Dad, they broke me. And then I think about the last two minutes or so where, it's just, as I said, it's just this long guitar play out. And the band sounds fantastic. That is really one of my favorite moments uh, in Pavement's career. That that very, uh, the end of Stop Breathing is fantastic. from Stop Breathing, this kind of very affecting song, uh, into, I think, their biggest, you know, charting hit, the song that got the MTV airplay, the song that was made fun of by Beavis and Butthead, which... It got all the way to 195 <laughs> on the Billboard charts. Right, exactly. Beavis and Butthead come up on the show more often than they probably should, but here they are again. Uh, and cut, cut Your Hair, which... Um, which really is a great song, and uh, I want to focus on another Malkmus couplet, which is songs mean a lot when songs are bought and i remember the first time that 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 lyric really jumped out at me and hit me like man that's so it's it's right it's true right i mean songs mean a lot individually but what songs i mean people probably have more great memories of of something relating to hotel california because it's everywhere and played there played on the radio and played at events and memories are made to hotel california that song means a lot to a lot of people even if it's not you know a tremendously i mean it's, it's a good song right but it's not you know epically great song songs mean a lot when songs are bought when songs are but, but then what's the follow-up line and so are you right right lucy <laughs> undercuts it right one second later yeah uh and the thing about cut your hair too is i think i'm draw you're drawn to the you know hoo, 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 that part but if you listen behind it th that guitar is just doing amazing things right behind uh th those those vocals uh later on I, I i know jeff is just a huge fan of gold sounds it's a great song i'll, I'll leave that for him five minus four equals unity like this dave Bruce jazz feel that's amazing it's a, it's a great bass line um range life the first i think the first time you kind of hear this country rock birdsian influence uh come through on a, on a pavement song um that's a great great song fillmore jive late is excellent uh there's not anything well i'm not the biggest fan of hit the plane down um but but I mean the rest of it is just really outstanding. It's a great sounding record, and the songs are solid too. OJ, yeah, I I just I just love this album. Um, 
I, I, I'll try not to go on so much because I'll leave Jeff some space. Um, but I just I, th- think of it just the way it starts. It you know with Silence Kid, uh, which was misspelled Silence Kit uh, on the album because they're very great attention to detail. Uh, but you know it opens with this kind of staggering bombastic guitar riff. Yes. Uh, and then it struts into this kind of catchy, distorted melody, um, and, and singing that kind of echoes "Every Day" by Buddy Holly. Absolutely, yes. yes. And, and then it closes with you know uh, allusions to self abuse, which so it's like it's like the perfect pavement song. <laughs> it's it's the album that made me you know fall in love with the band. You know, you know Pearl Jam was you know classic rockish. You know Sonic Youth is keeping itself seriously, but Pavement was interesting, lingually weird, uh, and they, but they were fun without you know being. Uh, frivolous, um, and you know it's easy to peg them as kind of wise-ass slack, uh, slackers, but you you don't write songs like this without loving music and taking it seriously. Uh, but at the same time, you know I think unlike a little bit of Slanted and Enchanted, they didn't let you know the indie purism or the uh, influence uh, the, you know the in- music that they liked influence them too much. They're they're coming into their own here, and as you said, the, the musicianship is really uh, is really up. I, I love Elevate Me. Elevate Me Later. It's this kind of achingly beautiful uh, melody, um, and uh, and uh, Gold Sounds. I'll, uh, I'll, let, I'll let Jeff talk about. Um, and I just love I love Fillmore Jive. It's this you know it's, it's kind of a sprawling suite at the end of the album where they proclaim the death of rock and roll uh, <laughs> as they uh, as they celebrate it. Uh, you know you got this you know Chris you know soaring refrain like i need to sleep uh why won't you let me you know there's such a suggestion like you know the genre of rock and roll is exhausted uh but they're going to keep going with it you've got these blistering solos uh with interspersed with these kind of sad observations about the music scene and you know westy's drumming manically holding the whole thing together like he's a jalopy kind of careening down the hill i mean he's Um, kind of keith mooning it isn't he yeah he really is very keith moon Uh, and I just love the lyrics, like you know, the jam kids on the Vespa. So I think these like guys who listen to Paul Weller driving around these little uh, motorcycles with glum looks on their faces. Uh, the streets full of punks, they've got spikes. You know, see the rockers with their long curly locks. Good night to the rock and roll era. We don't need you anymore, little girl, boy, girl. And these, and then they get this arena rock kind of uh, uh, guitar solo. And I was, you know, I was reading what Malcolmus uh, said about this. He's like, you know. He says, you know, I, I, actually, I wish we had been more like Wire and actually wanted to kill rock and roll. Uh, and he says, we did neuter many of the silly things about rock, but we still embraced a lot of them, too, because we're party kids and we like a Bo Diddley beat.
I wasn't saying goodbye to that. I was probably hoping it would keep going and that and we would be the best ones. And I think with Crooked Rain and Crooked Rain, they they were. And it's it's a it's a masterpiece of an album. What can you say about Crooked Rain? Crooked Rain. It's an album so good they had to name it twice. <laughs> uh, it, it's it's a modern rock album that is so stuffed to the gills with effortlessly accomplished melodic songwriting that it literally throws away its best riff in the first 90 seconds of the album. That's right, because a lot of other bands would have conceptually organized an entire album around the opening progression of Silence Kit if they'd been clever enough to write it. As it is, the band never returns to it after one minute and 30 seconds. And that's one of only three separate hooks in that very first song. Now, if that act of glorious waste isn't what pavement was always about, then I don't know what qualifies. You've got you got pavement exploring power pop <clears throat> on like cut my hair and elevate me later. Their prog rock fixation, which would come out even later on other songs. But mm -hmm. now here it's on stop breathing. Lo-fi jazz with five four, which is obviously just uh, take five by any other name. And then even country music on range life. So in theory, that kind of musical polymathy where you're like suddenly you decide to like explore your influences and get a little bit funky threatens to put an album all over the map. You know, have these diversion genre experiments running interference on one another, resulting in some kind of stylistic gumbo. But in fact, Pavement has never sounded more together or displayed more unity of purpose than on that record. There, there's you got more aggressive slanted and enchanted throwbacks like uh, Hit the Plane Down or even Unfair. But this sit easily alongside those cheerful burbles like Elevate Me Later and uh, you know the piano and flat-picking guitar on Range Life. And in fact, Range Life epitomizes for me the spirit of this record in so many ways. It poses as a song of like an amiable wanderlust. But aside from the Smashing Pumpkins and Stone Temple Pilots gigs, um, you know, Stone Temple Pilots, they're elegant bachelors. They're foxy to me. Are they foxy to you? Oh, man, I got them in so much trouble with them. So I was, they, I was, they, they say it got them kicked off Lollapalooza. Yeah, I think it was the Smashing Pumpkins yeah, gig the pumpkins. that got yeah. them kicked off of Lollapalooza. Uh, <laughs> nature kids who ain't got no function. But the thing is, is that aside from those those digs, which, you know, you know, Malcolm was probably was just sort of like joking around and improving on the mic when he sang it. I think he actually inadvertently reveals something about himself in that second verse. You know, like, sure, it's, it's it seems like it's a jaundiced depiction of suburban teen life, you know, like out on my skateboard. The night is just humming. But for all that, like practice distance and inscrutability that Malcolm has tried to bring to his lyrics, he can't help but portray some real sentimentality with those attention downward, the little happy details, you know, that gum smacking kid who's weaving through the dusky suburban sidewalks on a skateboard in California with a cheap Walkman and some music 
music in his head. That was probably him. I know it was me. All right. And that's why I love that song. I love everything about Range Life, even though it's commercial. No song that I love more on Crooked Rain, Crooked Rain than Gold Sounds. I even sometimes just refer to this as the song. This is you know, maybe one of the single greatest achievements of Pavement's career, one of the single finest moments of the entire 1990s. This is a song where I, I literally posit it as a refutation to people who argue that, oh, you know, Pavement, good music, interesting band, but you know, they never meant anything. The lyrics never meant a thing. Um, the lyrics to Gold Sounds mean something. The lyrics to Gold Sounds mean something, but it's the music that really carries it across. This is shimmering guitar rock. It's set in a, a very awkward meter, actually, when you when you break it down. I think it's actually 2-4. Uh, not 4-4, four, four, but 2. Um, but it's all based around this very, you know, very cadenced flat pick guitar line. And then it, it, it builds and it builds and it builds and then it phew, quiets. And then it explodes into this shimmering autumnal, you know, rhapsody of harmonies in this guitar solo and comes back into that final verse, which I think is maybe the finest, second finest lyric that Stephen Malkmus would ever write. So drunk in the August sun and you're the kind of girl I like because you're empty and I'm empty, but we can never quarantine the past. And there's some unutterable sadness that is hidden within that song that, you know, Malkmus and the band in general never lean into because it, you know how gauche it would be to have an emotion uh, a deeply held emotion that that's deeply uncool let's not talk about that but it'd it's be like in, in. exactly exactly <laughs> yeah you're gonna end up you know like you know doing heroin and committing suicide if you feel too much so let's just all be you know flippant and insouciant but i mean there are real emotions encoded within gold sounds and you can hear it not only in the lyrics but in the most powerful music that Pavement would ever record in their career.
um, one other song I want to mention is um, Raft, which was the B-side of Range Life, I think? Yeah. Okay. Yes, it was. That's a great song. Um, which has some like mm-hmm. Neil, 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 Neil Young-esque guitar on it. And there's a moment... It's got a very weird inverted riff that like, you know, yeah. do, 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 It's just like sort of like, like they turn something inside out to get that. Yeah. And, and, and yeah, as Jeff mentioned earlier, there's so many uh, ways to explore. I think, wh- how many songs? Like 220 songs if you combine everything that's on all, all the reissues. So if you're just jumping into the band, there's enough to keep you interested for quite a while. And by the way, if you go back and listen to our cover episode, our, our covers, cover versions episode, um, Camera is one of the songs that I mentioned is one of my favorite covers of all time. Uh, Pavement did a cover of R.E.M.'s Camera, and they released it as the B-side of Cut Your Hair. You can find it on the two-CD reissue of Crooked Rain, uh, as well as Unseen Power of the Picket Fence, which is, you know, uh, as we talked about in the intro, kind of one of the, the funniest, you know, summaries of the first two and a half years of R.E.M.'s career and uh, where Stephen Malkmus makes it very clear which his least favorite song on Reckoning was. Uh, <laughs> time After Time was my least favorite song. <laughs> it's just so funny. But and I, then somehow it turns I, into this weird Civil War fantasy too at the end. Yeah, they're marching through Georgia and you imagine like, these smoking ruins and, and there stands R.E.M. And then you hear like, <laughs> like, 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 like fire alarms in the background and it's like smoking and you're like, you're, Steve's like, Asa, Asa, oh. come on, bring out the, bring out the water. It's, it's why? Why did it happen? It's just like free association of weirdness. It's hilarious. Last back, it's 1983, chronic town. Um, ones that, that you can get on the, the Crooked Rain, Crooked Rain uh, Deluxe Edition that I just wanted to kind of put in a word for. Um, I love Strings of Nashville. It's this yeah. beautiful little minor key song. You've got this single clean guitar, a spare drum. It's kind of wistful, nostalgic uh, you know, tone. It's kind of like a two o'clock in the morning, lay on your couch in the dark kind of song. <laughs> um, I could see Postal Service or the Shins covering this or something like that. Um, and then, you know, and, and perhaps you know one of my favorites. Uh, this, this may make my top five. Um, is uh, all my friends. Yes. Um, it was it was recorded before Crooked Rain. I think Gary Young's on drums. Um, but this song, you know, is Crooked Rain, Crooked Rain in one like five minute burst. Uh, you get the kind of wistful, poppy melody of Elevate Me Later or Gold Sounds. Uh, you get some of the conceptual noodling or space out of Stop Breathing, and you get the arena rock crescendo of uh, of Fillmore Jive. It's it's you know Crooked Rain in one you know neat little package. Um, and it's in some ways it's better than a number of the songs on Crooked Rain, Crooked Rain. But I also see why it's not on there because it's like three of the other songs there, and it would just feel kind of a little I don't know if derivative is the right word sitting alongside it. But it's it seems to be kind of the musical root of what's going on with that old album. And it's 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 just perfect.
Political Beats, talking pavement with Jeff Pojanowski, who is a professor of law at Notre Dame Law School, writes about administrative law, legal interpretation, and philosophy of law. You can find him on Twitter, at Pojanowski as well. Uh, moving on to Wowie Zowie. Is it about that time? Sounds right. It is about that time. And, it, and how bizarre is it that people treat this album as some sort of disappointment in Pavement's career? I think that's really odd. I really do. Um, and I, the other thing you hear is it's very uh, odd and weird and difficult to to get into. Uh, and I don't find that at all. And maybe that's, you know, I'm odd and weird. I, I don't know. But I think this is a pretty accessible record. I mean, I really do. It's lengthy. Right. I think it's 18 songs. I was reading an interview with Canberg where he said he wanted it to be 10. He had a very uh, lean record that he wanted to release and and Malkmus wanted to, to go the whole 18 songs and he eventually won the argument. So, it, it, yeah, it, there's 18 songs on the album, but um, but they're all pretty darn good. Right. I, there's a um, there's a stretch on the record. Let's see from like grounded through father to a, a sister of thought. That's that's just outstanding. I mean, really outstanding. I I, I don't. We're even starting a blackout. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, what do you mean? Black- you, can you start a weed dance? There's, there's nothing <laughs> bad from those. <laughs> One through eighteen. Yeah. Listen, listen. There are there are exactly two songs on Wowie Zowie that are that are unnecessary. One of them is Extradition, which thankfully is only two and a half minutes long. And the other one is the last song of the album, Western Homes, which, by the way, you know, you know. Scanberg, you know, complains about like, oh, we you know, too many songs. Well, why'd you put that one on? It's a terrible song. <laughs> why did you close the album with that? It's a terrible song. And then they had painted soldiers there in the can. They just gave it away to like the kids in the hall movie instead. <laughs> Man, that bugs me. But yeah, everything else on this record is amazing. But here, here I am stomping on you again, Scott. No, Sorry. There, you know, one of the things that that perhaps makes it quote unquote inaccessible is the, is the switching of time signatures on some of the songs. But I, I think that's such a plus. I, I really like that and that we talked earlier about how how uh, how much better or how, how much that uh, steve west would, would shine on while we's i think it's really true here he's so involved in those in the switching of, of signatures but yeah that stretch you know grounded and um and motion motion suggests both those songs just listen to those guitar parts unfurled the the pace is slowed down in a, in a good way uh, on grounded the drums really are the things that that pulls that song through uh, motion suggests even has I, I wrote down kind of like an almost an elevator music entrance to it before it fully kicks in. Those songs are really well planned and really intentional, uh, and, and are both outstanding. Father to a sister of thought is one of my favorite pavement songs. It's just it has this wonderfully relaxed, lived-in feeling to it. It's got a real pedal steel guitar in it. Uh, toward the end, you have kind of these stacked vocals, kind of kind of shifting in. And this really neat guitar breakdown right at the end that kind of deconstructs the song. Really like Father to a Sister of Thought.
grave architecture where I think it's Bob, right? Invites you to Ooh. come on in. <laughs> Come on in. That, yeah, that, that, that's Bob and his friendliest, right? It's Bob and his check. Yep. I, I think actually on the album, it's Stephen Mountain saying it, but every time they do it live, it's Bob, right? But that's and another... You just, you know, if you've, you've got a big smile on his face. It's another song that's just, just like this this wall of warmth. It's just a very... To me, it's a friendly record. I mean, it really... It, it just it envelops you. Um, Grave Architecture, these very short strums of the guitar through the, through the verses. For the most part, it's a very rubbery guitar part to it. Uh, Pueblo's a great song. Uh, Canberg's Kennel District is great. Um, Massive. Like a sunny, I wrote down like a sunny Weezer-type composition, even with the, the, the woo-woo backing vocals on, on, on Kennel District. Uh, I think the first single was Rattled by the Rush, which is one of the heavier songs on the record. And it's got harmonica on it, and uh, it's, 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 it's not a true rock song, but it's about as close as the band would get. And that's, I, I like Rattled by the Rush, too. Those oh, I think Rattled by the Rush, I'm going to just say this right now, that's the best guitar solo that Stephen Mountainous will ever play in his life. Yeah, that's a great solo. The, 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 the ending of that, the ending of that is like, again, just one of those moments where when it hits, you know, the, the actual song, the verses, the chorus, great stuff, but when it gets to that guitar solo at the end and it plays out all the way to the end, um, that's rapture. I just don't understand how you can dislike that. And of course, you know, Malcolm himself thought, oh, that's going to be a hit single. And then later on he said, well, I guess maybe I was smoking too much. <laughs> <laughs> stuff here too i mean like best friend's arm is uh to me like the best kind of pavement chaos the melody's not forgotten even in the uh midst of all the uh all the noise and kind of excitement going on i really dig uh wowie zowie and and i know the reviews were very rough at the time and, and again even now it's sort of I think, well there's a little bit of revisionist through the years that that you know it really is kind of perhaps their best or one of their best um it's it's difficult to, to kind of rank the albums when you go through their career because they're all so awfully good but wowie zowie is is just excellent yeah, I think I think part of its, its reputation for being difficult uh, comes from you know the context in which it's released. So it's it's 1995. Cut your hair is getting some buzz. You know, 
Pavement's kind of an underground cult band with a minor catchy hit on MTV. Alternative music is big. Uh, and then they release an album that opens up with Steve Malkus mewling in a fake folky British accent that there is no castration fear. You're like, what is going on here? Um, and he's pretty, much, he's, pretty, he's pretty much admitted that they were rebelling against whatever minor fame they had uh, and the rising expectations. So they just had decided to do what they really, really wanted to do. Um, and, you know, I think I got the album when I was a junior in high school. I was initially, you know, a little puzzled. Um, uh, but then some of the songs grew on me and, you know, now I love it. Um, you know, if the, you know, I remember, you know, Christmas Eve a couple years ago, it was really cold in Indiana. My kids had gone to bed and I just felt like taking a walk. And I just remember walking through the countryside, listening to this album, uh, under the stars. I just love it. Um, and the thing is, if this were the Spotify era, you know, I'm not sure the 16 year old me would give the whole thing a chance. Um, it's not clear at first glance that it always hangs together as an album. Uh, there's, I think there's three or four different kinds of songs, uh, running through it, but you get to love it. Uh, if you listen to it as an album, um, and I, I agree. You know, I think grounded, and you know, you've got these mid-tempo beauties like Blackout, where they, I love the opening line: "You know, Sunday drive past your own Hall of Fame. <laughs> it's closed for week. It's closed on weekdays. Shut for good." Um, I mean, he was referring again. to the Johnny Cash Hall of Fame because they were recording in Nashville, oh, and so he, that, he would drive by the Johnny Na Johnny Cash Hall of Fame closed <laughs> on weekdays. That's what it is. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic! And again, grounded great guitar rift and string bend there um motion suggests and i love father to you sister of thought uh, it opens up like a great cowboy junkie sound um hmm. their producers playing the pedal steel but then it kind of deconstructs at the end and it's just wonderful um uh you know you've got the rockers like at&t and flux equals rad i'll let jeff talk about at&t um and then you've got you got some of the weirdness you know best friend's arm or Brink's job where he's just kind of screeching in falsetto over and over again. We got the money. Uh, yeah, Brink's, job is, is one minute, Brink's job is literally one minute and 30 seconds, people, of Stephen Malkmus singing, we got the money! We got the money! And yet, I, I don't know how to explain this to you. It works. It, it works. works. It's a wonderful, <laughs> wonderful song. Um, and, uh, and, and I think, you know, I think my favorite is, uh, one of my favorites is, um, is half a Canyon. Um, it's, it's weird. Um, but it's just, it's just this, you know, tough guitar song, um, with these kind of, you know, thick kind of guitar riffs. The, the, the lyrics make no sense. <laughs> But then it ends with, um, you know, Steve Malcolm is just screaming, um, and, uh, and, and he's screaming. And, and who, Jeff, remind me, who's the lead singer of Can, the Japanese guy? Demo Suzuki. 
Yeah, and so Malcolm said, like, I'm doing that guy now. And it sounds like um, a Japanese guy being tortured while listening to The Doors. Um, <laughs> and then, then there's this, this incredible super freakout music playing underneath it. It's like trance freakout. Like, like the, if you've ever seen – if you've seen the film Mandy with Nicolas Cage just came out, this is, the, this is the soundtrack to that, like, where there's, like, these blood rituals. It's, like, really weird, but it's beautiful. It, it's really weird, but it's just a kick but guitar part um and and it, i i love it um and yeah western homes is a disappointment um uh, i would have put i would have put on painted soldiers or something like that um in clothes with half a canyon or pueblo or something like that because pueblo feels a little bit like Fillmore jive too um but i really but i uh it's just a wonderful album i mean this is the last album where pavement felt free to be completely weird and that's one of the reasons why i love it so much uh, one thing you have to say about pavement i mean they were always pavement every one of their albums sounds like them it's not like you know them mm. doing a strange disco turn or something like that and yet every one of their albums is different slanted and enchanted and crooked rain are not the same kind of album wowie zowie and crooked rain are not the same kind of album the same goes for bright in the corners these are four very different musical approaches and concepts and yet it's the same band doing them what you hear on wowie zowie is a band that for the last time again maybe because they were rebelling against what little like you know fame or, or uh you know hype that they had been getting in the mainstream media just literally embraced their goofy side so you get that you know like the minute one and a half minutes of them singing you know we got the money or like even better serpentine pad you know frequently called numbers i mean it's a hard hard slamming hardcore punk riff or a best friend's arm which is you know i don't have never in a million years going to figure out what the lyrics to that song are he's <laughs> like yeah i think the lyrics to that song are technically i think i'm looking at them up right now on google and the lyrics to that song are <laughs> That's the actual lyrics. Um, and, or, 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 or flux equals rad, which is basically saying change is good. Um, that's another one. These like little punky squibs that just absolutely work on their own terms as songs and yet wouldn't feel right unless they had been stuck among these much more sort of laid back, uh, you know, thoughtful, you know, sort of you know, oceanic grooves like grave architecture, which by the end is the guitars like vibrating and throbbing uh and then it just comes to like a quick halt but man that is that is a beautifully melodic song grounded of course th this is a song that had been with the band since crooked rain in fact a lot of these songs had come from the crooked rain era but they didn't record them then <laughs> Pueblo, uh, Grounded, Flux, those are all Crooked Rain era songs. They just never got around to them at that time, which kind of tells you how fertile a period it was for the band. Um, but the one 
gosh, I mean, I could name every one of these songs, Fight This Generation. We're not even going to talk about Fight This Generation, but Fight This Generation is so wonderful. Um, sadly, though, I have to ignore it because the one I want to really spend a lot of time talking about is AT&T. Is this the best pavement song ever written? I don't know, because Gold Silence is always going to be there, lurking in the background. So if this isn't the best pavement song of all time, this is the second best pavement song of all time. And this is actually a one-man band proposition. Malcolmus plays the drums on this. He plays the guitars, plays almost everything on it, except I think bass. I think Eyeball is on bass. But, you know, it is a as close to a straight-ahead rock song as you're going to find on Wowie Zowie, just hidden away on the second half of the record. You know, and it goes, you know, like, lately someone's going to save me. My heart is made of gravy, uh, which you're going to think. No apps I swim from lunatics don't count. <laughs> you know, and like, listen, I would like to thank Janky Jabbits for everything, too. Uh, but what matters the most to me about this is, again, the the sensibility that the music carries across and almost overwhelms the lyrics. This is, in its own strange way, despite its name, despite the weirdness of the lyrics, this is a love song in a strange way. And what I love most about it is the final the final seconds of it, where he gives you that rock shout that to me, and I know this is going to sound weird, and it's probably my own quixotic opinion, but the, but the shout that Stephen Malcolmus gives at the end of AT&T when he goes, whoa, distorted ghosts, distorted ghosts, that to me is the equivalent of Roger Daltrey screaming at the end of Won't Get Fooled Again, the 70s versus the 90s. You know, the ultra-committed, you know, like, you know, political song in the 70s versus the slacker, I have a secret emotional import that you will never quite understand but it's their version of commitment that you get in the 90s at&t from start to finish is one of the finest examples of what pavement brought to music in that era as a band and again i just ask myself why don't more people know this music I want to make one other small point, which is this, that, that on this album, you really see Stephen Mountain was being fascinated with the Western half of country and Western. So you, you hear it on stuff like Father to a Sister of Thought, which both of you have already talked about. A wonderful song. But you also hear it on Pueblo, which I mm-hmm. think really needs to be you know, given a little more praise than it has. Mm-hmm. Pueblo is, is Western music. It's not country. It's, it's, it's Colorado music. It's New Mexico music. And when, when that, final, that giant guitar riff emerges, like the sun you know, coming out from behind the rocks you know, on a mountain range, you hear sort of the, the vast panorama visually that he's trying to conjure with music. And, I, and again, it's just, you know, a wonderfully impressive little bit of sound painting that uh, this band doesn't get the credit for that it deserves.
I think that's right. Um, and it's probably this is probably the time to talk a little bit about the B sides and uh, unreleased tracks. Um, I love I love Chris Craft. Um, it's kind of like making fun of Vampire Weekend before the kids in Vampire Weekend even went to to college. It's like talking about like boating while you're wearing your dockers and your press right boat shoes right exactly yeah, your boat shoes uh, and uh, your topsiders yeah your docksiders exactly uh, and I, I love um, uh, Muscle Rock is a horse in transition it's a it's a great little uh, Canberg song that uh, you know. I, you know, maybe could have been a candidate to replace uh, Western Homes. And, and a final little one, uh, there's this great little song, uh, I Love Perth, uh, which is a kind of a beach blanket pop gem that just comes in just over a minute, um, which uh, which didn't make the cut. But it's just uh, – it's, it's, it's great. I mean, and by the way, while we're talking about great outtakes – I mean, I might save this till the end, but uh, Painted Soldiers, mm-hmm. this is the song that should have ended Wowie Zowie. Mm-hmm. You know, Canberg wrote some really great songs, and as time would go by, there would be a lot more friction between Mountainous and Canberg about this, because Mountainous sort of wanted them all to be his songs. He got more and more kind of like exerting a chokehold on the band. And this is sort of the inevitable dynamic of these things. Well, and but, Ken- uh, Kenberg got a lot better, too. I mean, that's just, you know, by the time we get here and, and into Bright in the Corners, Kenberg's yeah, songs are Yeah, you're feeling worthy. the pressure. When, he, when he's coming out with stuff like Kennel District, yes. I mean, Kennel District is a bulldozer of a song. Yeah. You know, between that and Painted Soldiers, which will never be topped in its BBC version. I mean, he was actually, you know, bringing, and, and again, as you see on Bright in the Corners coming up, he was bringing so much quality to these sessions. Speaking of Bright in the Corners, you want to take us in? Sure. I, this is, uh, I think this is, there's two years, I think, between Wowie Zowie and Bright in the Corners. And uh, I, I got to tell you guys, this is, uh, I, I really love this album. It's my favorite pavement album, um, front to back. Uh, I don't think there's a weak song anywhere on Bright in the Corners. It's sharper, um, more focused. Um, this is this is I, I wrote down. This is Pavement's great guitar record. I mean, by this point, Malcolmus is feeling I think very good about his uh, his abilities, um, and, and the guitar is so prevalent up and down, bright in the corners. It, yeah, but it's not a loud record. It's not. But but in the way the songs are constructed and put together, that guitar playing is very much featured up and down, bright in the corners. And uh, and get to the B sides in a second, but man, the songs left left off bright in the corners are fantastic. Uh, the two Kenberg songs, since we'll kind of pull that thread through, I think are his two best songs that ever made 
a pavement album, I think. Date with Ikea and uh, Passat Dream are are just great. The Date with Ikea, kind of like a big star-esque pop, those distorted vocals. And the other one, I hear like a 70s, almost Rolling Stones, black and blue funk to it. I mean, those. By are the way, the title great. of the title of that is just every time I say it out loud, it makes me laugh. Like, like what, what is your what is your your, your bourgeois <laughs> dream? Oh, I just want to have a Passat. You know, was it, <laughs> wait, was, it a Vol- was it a Volkswagen or was it a Volvo? Which one was it? I can't remember. I it's a Volkswagen Passat. It's a Volkswagen yeah. Passat, right? Like you can drive yeah, to that, IKEA on a date. Yeah, <laughs> God, that's just so funny. That's so consumerist '90s. I'm sorry. We can do this, But um, the first track on the album, Stereo, is a freaking great song. And I, you know, the first time I remember hearing it, it, it seemed so ramshackle and 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 kind of off. And it sort of like magically comes together in the chorus. And this is uh, where that lyric that we referenced at the very start of the show: the, "How about the voice of Getty Lee? How did it get so high? I wonder if he speaks like an ordinary guy." And, and then course, Bob, like a champ, chimes in yes. and says, "I know him," and he does because he's the fact-checking cousin. Stereo is a great song. It's one of those. Man, if, you know, we kind of, had, I think Jeff asked earlier, why don't more people know about Pavement? And of course, you know, there was no hit song, and so it didn't, didn't break through the radio. And by this point, radio wasn't playing, I think, I think by this point, radio wasn't playing quite this kind of stuff. But Stereo, Stereo could have broken through. Didn't. It didn't. Later, uh, boy, the, the back-to-back uh, Type Slowly and Embassy Row. I love those two songs back-to-back. Uh, type Slowly takes so much time building up. And then uh, at some point, the, the full band kind of crashes in. There's this beautiful string-bending guitar work, a little tinkling piano. Uh, type Slowly is a great song. And then Embassy Row... Uh, again, you know, talk about those those uh, time shifts and and the introduction. There's, there's an introduction to NBC Row before it really starts kicking in. This hard riffing and note soloing all on top of it, especially during the chorus. This acrobatic kind of solo to it. NBC Row is fantastic. We are underused. Has this like '60s Beatlesy dreamy opener to it uh, before the, the the main song gets going uh thin is a great way to end the album uh transport is arranged reminds me of a lot of great uh great other uh, actually i have written down reminds me of almost like a sparkle horse song uh bright in the corners from from front to back is my favorite pavement album and i understand why it might not be someone else's i really do because it's not that lo-fi production that that was started it's not as weird as wowie zowie but again, for my money, I, I, I like Bright in the Corners the best of all they've done. Jeff? Yeah, I, I really enjoy it a lot. Um, in fact, I, I saw them uh, play at my college on the Bright in the Torner, uh, Corners tour. They played at a 
basically in a living room uh, at a club and I remember Mogwai opened and didn't smile once. Um, <laughs> and then these guys came out, um, you, know, you know, very happy-go-lucky, you know, probably a little stoned. And I remember someone presenting them with a guitar made out of Rice Krispie treats uh, and they had a really good time playing. And it was a great show. And this is just a really f- fun, uh, fun um, uh, album. Uh, I remember, you know, people turning to each other and like kind of, you know, uh, repeating the Getty Lee, you know, line in, 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 you know, in, you know, in sync with them. Uh, and uh, so stereo is great. Um, shady lane is really catchy and fun. Um, and again, I love the big starry feel with date with Ikea, uh, and embassy row. And the lyrics are just really funny. It's, it, it's kind of a concept song vaguely about, I think trying to get a visa. I, need, um, I needed a visa. I bought off a geezer. <laughs> yeah. I need to get born. I need to get dead. I'm sick of the forms. I'm sick of being misread by men in dashikis with their leftist weeklies. <laughs> it was. Just, it's just very clever. Um, through Israelites. <laughs> <laughs> And one song Scott hasn't talked about is I just love Blue Hawaiian. It's this infectious little earworm um, with a great kind of uh, groove uh, to the back, but you know, kind of sleepy at the same time. Um, so it's definitely a lot tighter. Um, it's obviously a lot tighter than Wowie Zowie, and some people say it's you know the album they should have followed up with uh, Crooked Rain, Crooked Rain with. Um, and it's a little more tighter than Crooked Rain, Crooked Rain, but I, I agree, it's um, it's great. Uh, the corners are not just brightened, but they're kind of polished and uh, and, uh, and and shined. And it's it's a good album. I mean, Brighten the Corners is is an album that has no weak spots, as you guys have both already pointed out. It is so polished. There's there's none of the weird bits. There's no uh, serpentine pad on this. There's no bizarre you know two minute punk squibs. Every single song is considered well thought out. It's very melodic. It's kind of have a preview of where Stephen Mountain would be going in his solo career, the best of his solo career, uh, because there's all these sort of well-considered, you know, guitar solos and guitar work on it, and and, and all of the pieces are, are longer and more ruminative. But uh, I, I I have to agree with what everyone has said about you know the two famous songs. Everybody loves. Uh, stereo everyone loves shady lane everyone loves date with ikea but i really want to agree with jeff about uh blue hawaiian blue hawaiian is just such a great song you know that again you know malcolm isn't really singing he's speaking but you know he has that very chill vibe you know a welcome to my friends this house is a home and a home's where i belong 
where the feelings are warm and the foundations are strong. And then there's that great line, if my soul has a shape, well, then it is an ellipse. And I just you almost see him just like drawing an ellipse with his hands. He's an island of such great complexity. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, exactly. Aloha means goodbye, but also, infl- also hello. It's in how you inflect. If you put the bark in a dog, well, then you've got a guardian. It's just so funny, and it's such a wonderful song. And it has that that those uh, the, you know the, those those little tritone clusters that that end up you know driving the song. You know, and the tones are grouped in clusters. Do do do. Aloha means goodbye, and also hello. It's in how you inflect. Put the bark in the dog, and you've got a guardian. When the capitals S, it is followed by a T. And it's probably me And the tones are grouped in clusters You know the tones are grouped in clusters Well, the tones are grouped in clusters You know the tones are grouped in clusters Clusters, clusters, clusters Take it back Kiss me into the It's really a beautiful piece, but the one there are so many songs on this record that are great, and the other two that really appeal to me are "Starlings of the Slipstream," um, the second, the penultimate song on the record, which is an old song. I mean, I think this dates back to some of the earliest days of payment. There are early versions of it from like 1992 or thereabouts, um, where you know it, it's it's sort of you know an you would almost mistake it for an elegy if it weren't for the part about where he talks about putting a spy cam in a sorority. Uh, darlings like, on the split screen. <laughs> Instead of Starlings in the split screen, it's Darlings on the split screen. Uh, yeah, it, it's Revenge of the Nerds. Yes. Yeah, it's basically, right? You know? <laughs> but, but it's it's such a beautiful song. Language of influence is cluttered and I put a spy cam in a sorority. Darlings on the split screen. Is 
Dragon, which uh, I think the working title of was Tusk, because it's obviously a tribute to Fleetwood Mac, uh, Fleetwood Mac's Tusk, you know, that rhythm bass, you know, where they recorded it with the USC marching band. And, you know, obviously Pavement doesn't have the budget for that. So they just got Westy and Astanovich to do like this double drum thing. And it, it's really, really kind of, you know, a slow ruminative number, but then it breaks out into this incredible long guitar solo this lyrical guitar solo mm-hmm. that is, is basically you know everything that Malcolmus would end up trying to go do with the Jicks uh, in his solo career and you know to this day he still does you know his, his, his solo music which we're not really going to talk about on the show but it's much more proggy you know, it kind of builds, you know, you start you start this with something like Stop Breathing, but then you carry it through to Half a Canyon and to, to Finn. And, like, those are the, the blocks that you can just see well, where he wants to go because he's obviously become much more confident as a guitar player. He's writing less in that early pavement style, and he's kind of taking it to a, a much more uh, drawn-out place. But the hilarious thing about Bright in the Corners is that this is another album that they could have just literally made into a double album, and I still think it would have been nearly as good. You go get the two-CD reissue of this, and the B-sides and the outtakes of it are almost as good as all the stuff that made it on the album. There's a version of a song that they would end up ruining on Terror Twilight called The Hex. And then is what it was called at this point. There's two versions of it on the reissue. There's a studio version, and then there's this amazing BBC version. Uh, And this thing has just this epically swamp groove where it just hits you like a hammer to the head. And it's just, you know, da 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 and that's all it needs to be it doesn't have any any lyrics because at that point it hadn't really been fully formed yet and then of course they overthought it and they ruined it on the next album like Westy can drum winner of the roll with the wind uh, the other want to mess you around and no, no tan lines these are all great songs but there's the one b-side in particular that wouldn't get released until the terror twilight era but it comes from the bright in the corner sessions it's a song called harness your hopes 
which I know Scott likes a lot too. Yeah. Uh, is just got another one of these just hilarious, hilarious lyrics. You know, harness your hopes to just one person because another person. Uh, this is a song where I, uh, this is a song I actually performed uh, yeah, live when I was, you know, playing stuff uh, for people. But I, I, I still will never, never mind singing, you know, don't telegraph your passes. You'll end up with molasses cauterized in syrup and syrup and molasses. And I'm checking out the asses, the assets that attract us. Uh, it's it's just one of those things, you know, where, uh, you know, when, when, when Stephen Mountwood sings that the freaks have stormed the White House and I've moved into a lighthouse, I don't know. It makes sense. It doesn't it's, have it's to like make a, sense. It's like automatic writing by an overeducated guy on drugs. Which well, is, you know what? Show me, a, you know, you know, Jeff, show me a word that rhymes with pavement and I won't kill yes. your parents. Okay. That, that's the deal I'm making you. All right. And roast them out of spit. <laughs> don't telegraph your passes. You'll end up with molasses. Cauterizing syrup and syrup and molasses. And I'm checking out the Don't you try to etch it or permanently sketch it Or you're gonna catch a bad, bad cold And the freaks have stormed the White House I moved into a lighthouse It's on a scenic quay It's so, so far away, far away from the beginning The shroud is made of linen The yearling took the purse The goth kid has a hearse yeah, I, I love the I love the B side. So there's a, there's a version of Type Slowly called Slowly Typed, um, which feels like an old '97s cover. Right, of it's a country it's version a of the song. Thing. Right, it's kind of like the Out of Sight, Out of Mind inversion. Um, and No Tan Lines also kind of feels like a 90, old '97 song. Like she like she loves the sunset or something like that. Um, probably my two favorite uh, non-album tracks though. Uh, there's an instrumental called Beautiful as a Butterfly. Um, and you you it's, you keep fi- you find yourself waiting for the build up to this really great surf guitar uh, riff uh, that they pull through a, a couple of times, um, and then uh, this comes from the I'm recording this from England, so this feels really appropriate. Um, there's a BBC evening session of their cover of Killing Moon by Echo and the Bunnymen, yes, um, and it uses like a Telecaster sound instead of kind of the new wave guitar, and it's just so so good. Yep. They did that, and they did the classical at the same time, which isn't just yeah. good. But they, but their version of the Killing Moon is is uh, again the the original Echo and the Bunnymen one is uh, you know one of my, hey listen I'm the guy who has the Echo and the Bunnymen album cover as his background on Twitter, so you know what I think about that band. The Killing Moon cover is worthy. It's really magnificent. And you guys mentioned both my favorite uh, B sides from this album. I mean, they both would have been still one of the better. I mean, it's a great album. They still would have been two of the better songs in the album. That's Harness Your Hopes with Jeff talked about quite a bit and then i think both of you mentioned no tan lines which is really outstanding intricately paired guitar lines kind of a herky jerky rhythm to it
those songs. Both those songs, I mean, could have had a place on the album and would have fit right in as it stands. I think they're two of their best, you know, uh, uh, B-sides or, or, you know, uh, deleted tracks or whatever during their career that you can now find on uh, on the re-releases. So we have to ask ourselves, what the hell happened? <laughs> <laughs> 1997, Bright in the Corners, Pavement, still on a winning streak, four consecutive fantastic A-plus, 10 out of 10, 9 out of 10 level albums. And then the end. And the end came, well, I hate to say it, the end came when they hired Radiohead's producer, Nigel Godrich, <laughs> of all people. Um, I'm a big fan of Radiohead. I'm a big fan of Nigel Godrich. But uh, maybe it was a bad idea to get a guy who was like, you know, a British professional to come in and uh, deal with this group who always seemed to function better when they had outsiders and weirdos producing them. You know, by the way, Mitch Easter produced Bright in the Corners. Mitch Easter, of course, is famous for producing a lot of REMs, early stuff like Reckoning and Murmur. Um, and, uh, they brought in Nigel Godrich for this album. Uh, this is the final Pavement album, and all I can say about it is that when you listen to it, it will become immediately apparent why this band had to break up. I, you can hear some of the, the seams forming on Bright in the Corners. Obviously, Malcolmus is becoming much more interested in these sort of longer, drawn-out compositions. Um, but what's the worst thing I can say about Terror Twilight? It's an album where every single song is a thoughtful, you know, painstakingly composed and fully thought through song. Um, but most of these songs are not good at all. They're terrible. Uh, there's no energy to them. There's no, there's no joy in them. Uh, there's very few memorable hooks or melodies. And this, of course, was my, you know, not my first Paven album, but was the Paven album that I bought after I got slanted and enchanted because it was the new one, 1999. I was like, okay, Pavement's a hip thing. I'm going to get into them. And I got this. And, you know, there are three songs on it that I really like. I really like the first song. I like Spin on a Stranger. Everyone does. I like Major Leagues. Major Leagues is a single. Some people like to make fun of it or knock on it because it's like, oh, it's it's the sappiest, most schlocky, schmaltzy ballad that, that Malcolmus would ever write. I think it's a beautiful song. You kiss like a rock, but you know I need it anywhere. Angle for the ringside. Seats when they fall, don't blame me. And uh, I really also like the final song, Carrot Rope. But mm -hmm. beyond that, I don't really care for much of anything on this. And I think that the, the most emblematic song on it, in a way, is The Hex. As I just discussed earlier, um, The Hex was a song that they'd written during the Brand the Corners era. And they did a magnificent version of during those sessions. And during the BBC, they played it live all on that tour. And then when it came time to record it for this album... Um, they sucked all the soul out of it. They sucked all the guts out of it. They turned it into this very slow, rather sullen, surly kind of a song where that main riff that was so powerful and so compelling on its, its initial version is removed. Uh, it's, it's like 
they surgically tried to turn a good song into a bad song. And I guess I give them credit for succeeding in that respect because it's not a good song anymore. And to me, that kind of exemplifies everything that's wrong with Terror Twilight, an album where Malcolmus refused to let Canberg put any songs on. He said, no, this is going to be only my stuff. And for no good reason, because a lot of the songs that he ended up putting on this, like, you know, does anybody care about hearing platform blues or speak? <laughs> see remember ever again maybe are some minor moments like folk jam or you are a light that are good kind of maybe if i'm squinting but no there's just there's just not a lot on here for me to like and it's just one of the most inexplicable cliff dives of a truly great band you know, plunging into mediocrity and i'm very glad that they just said you know what we're done we we don't want to carry on from here because as it is we can just say well this is why the band had to end. That they didn't extend themselves into a decline phase. Yeah, it's you know I went back and re-listened to it a couple times to try to see maybe if I was being unfair to it. Um, but I yeah I, don't, I I think history's kind of judged it right. Um, I'm actually I'm actually a little disappointed. I, I thought of an analogy that I thought uh, was uh, w- was good, but it turns out and I, I read you know, Scott Canberg mentioned the same thing. So, uh, but it's <laughs> it's kind of like the it's it's the all it's the pavements all shook down um you know the end of the last replacements album uh it's it's technically a band album that's increasingly sure. becoming a solo project see uh, our episode on the replacements yeah exactly and, and and like spit on a stranger is like the replacements merry-go-round you know it's it's a good kind of catchy but it's you know a little bit inferior you know more produced kind of past their uh their musical uh peak um so yeah spit on a stranger is good um uh actually the the bluegrass band nickel creek has a pretty uh, cute cover of it um folk jam is a little catchy and has some bright moments i i don't mind major league i like it and i think carrot rope is really fun i think it's great that they decided to go out on such a silly note like you know what's a carrot rope uh, we'll We'll never know. It kind of sounds like a show tune almost. It's like, like something out of Avenue Q um, or, or like the Partridge family on acid. I'm not sure what it is, but it's oh, fun. I, always, I always thought it was a song about uh, a flasher. You're like, what is that? that great lyric. You're like, hey, little boy, would you like to know what's in my pocket or not? It's no toy. It's no gimmick. It's a chance of a lifetime to see something that's never been seen before by mortal eyes. And then the lights. So what would you say? Would you like to play 20 questions with me? I mean, Jesus, that's really creepy. <laughs> like, here, I'm going to open my trench coat and show you my junk. It's what it is. I mean, yeah, I guess that's what a carrot rope is. Is it not? I mean, that's what I always thought it was. <laughs> oh, dear. And it's, it's, it's married to this really, really, really. Uh, this, again, it's, it's one of the few great songs on the record. A very catchy chorus. Simmer, simmer, simmer down. Simmer, simmer, simmer down. Waste your precious breath explaining that you are worthwhile. Simmer, simmer, simmer down. Simmer, simmer, simmer down. Be patient and I'll let you see my. I care it. The, the weird thing is, um, 
they did an interview with Scott Canberg to rank his favorite Pavement albums, and he put this one second. Yeah, I saw that. I was kind of what? baffled. Yeah. I haven't seen that. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And oh, well. There's, you know, there are people that will defend it, and apparently Canberg's among them. Um, yeah. The, there's just some things that really miss here. I think, you know, like uh, Cream of Gold is a real misstep. Uh, Billy, uh, um, on the Stranger is great. I, 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 it's one of the first pavement songs I can remember hearing, and it really is a great song with a tremendous melody, that, that kind of loping bass line to it. Uh, I, I like the way it ends, too, uh, where it kind of slows to a crawl, and Malcolmus is hitting those high notes. You're a Jam is odd in that if I just played you folk jam, I wonder how many people would say that it's just a straight Beck song. It reminded me so much of Beck, and part of that is probably Nigel Godrich producing, who had just done Mutations uh, before Terror Twilight, but it's got that country, folk, indie, jam, banjo, Beck feel to it. It it feels completely like someone else's song and not a a pavement song. Um, The other song I don't think that anyone's mentioned yet that I think is salvageable from here is um, And Don't Cry. Mm-hmm. It's very gentle, but it sounds, you know, and, and appropriately enough, it sounds like the end of something. It's not the last song of the album, it's a carrot rope, but Anto Christ sounds like the end of something, a relationship or the band. It, it, it kind of conveys that that empathetic tone to it, that uh, there's something very important that is that has reached the end of the line and don't cry. Uh, but yeah, outside of that, there's not a lot. Uh, I do like Carrot Rope as well, but but uh, th- th- there's there's not a ton to return to on Terror Twilight. And as Jeff mentioned, uh, rightfully so, it's the very last Pavement album. So I mean, I am sad that Pavement had to end at this point, but I'm actually not sad because the. You won't say that they went out on the high note because this is obviously their worst album, their least album. But uh, they didn't, as I said, extend the slide. They didn't mm-hmm. record a whole series of terrible albums. You know, like the Who should have known. Like you know, after Who Are You and <laughs> Keith Moon dies, uh, you know, let's let's call it a day. But then there's Face Dances and it's hard. Pavement did Terra Twilight. Malcolmus went through a tour that apparently was pretty nightmarish. Nobody was getting along. And then he just said, listen, I, I can't do this. They broke up. Yeah, I and, think at uh, one point on the tour, he like held up handcuffs saying it was, the last, like, it was the, last, the last show of the tour. In fact, if you have this Slow Century DVD, which is like the little pavement documentary, uh, they have that scene. Somebody was videotaping it where he's like, you know, this is a metaphor for what it feels like to be in a band. He was obviously like, yeah, really fed up with it at that point. But, um, they broke up, and that's the end. And then Malcolm's went on to a solo career. So did uh, Canberg. Um, I, I don't know if anybody has any particular opinions on Malcolm's solo career. I, I, I yeah. could talk about it. I'm, I'm, I'm not as impressed with it as I, as I wish I was. There, I, I think his first solo album was good. I like Real Emotional Trash. 
Um, but I think a lot of the rest of it doesn't work. I don't like mirror traffic or uh, the last two ones that he's put out. Uh, but, you know, you know, some people just sort of, you know, you know, they have a, a peak and then they have a downslide. But one thing I will say is that Pavement did that thing, that that beloved indie rock bands who never got a lot of commercial, pr- you know, uh, play in, in their heyday did. And they had a reunion tour. And, you know, I don't know if you guys ever saw the Pixies reunion tours, but they're not good. Um, not good at all. I was scared off of seeing Pavement when they did their reunion tour. This is in 2010, 10 years after they had broken up, uh, 2010, 2011. Uh, I was just thinking, this is going to suck. This is going to be like, you know, a nostalgia thing. I'm glad that they're going to make some money off of it, going more power to them, but I don't want anything to do with it. Uh, and then I heard the bootlegs. And then I, I picked up some of the shows and I felt like a complete prat because <laughs> as it turned out, they didn't miss a step. If you go listen to those those reunion shows, they're awesome. <laughs> they're absolutely some of the best shows that they've ever played as a band. All of their whole repertoire from the old stuff to the to the, the later stuff, obscurities and this that um that reunion sh- that reunion tour was one that I genuinely regret having missed out on. I don't know if if you Jeff happened to see them when they did I, I didn't see I, I didn't see any of them. Um but uh, uh, I'm, I'm well, glad it wasn't a, an embarrassing Eagles type fest. No, no. I mean, listen, I, I will have to send you some of those records at some point. They're really good. They're really good shows. Um, but I do suppose, Scott, unless I am mistaken and you have some final thoughts, does that bring us to the end of our consideration of pavement? That brings us to uh, the end. Yes, the political beats look at pavement. And so we reach the point of the episode in which uh, all three of your lovely hosts give to you, the listener, a list of two albums that you really must own from our band and five songs that you just have to hear. And uh, we always begin with our guest. So that is Jeff Pojanowski. Jeff, you're two, you're five, please. All right. So the the, the, the albums are easier, I think, than the songs uh, to pick. Um, I'm going to go with Crooked Rain, Crooked Rain. I think it's it's my favorite. Uh, I think it's a nearly perfect album, except for maybe Hit the Plane Down. Um, and and I'm going to go with Wowie Zowie. Um, it's, you know, it meanders a little bit at times, but if, you, if it, I was kind of writing down my, narrowing down my favorite five songs and uh, it was populated by Wowie Zowie songs. There's just so much... Uh, uh, good stuff on there um and in terms of songs you know it's really hard so i'm not going to go with my five favorites i'm not sure if i can have one but i'm going to kind of pick one from kind of each you know genre or era um you know i'll start off with trigger cut which is kind of the they're kind of the paint the the pavement lo-fi era um and then to do to get the kind of crooked rain crooked rain kind of shimmering melodic era i'm going to cheat and instead of picking a crooked rain song i'm going to pick all my friends uh which basically kind of you know compresses the whole album into into five minutes and gives you that kind of shimmering gold sound with a little bit of a Fillmore jive um crescendo to it um then there's the weird, uh, there's weird pavement. And with that, I'm going half a Canyon with the kind of blistering guitar and Malcolmus screaming till he almost passes out at the end. Um, and then I'm going to go with father to a sister, um, of thought the 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 kind of the alt country the, the alt country fan in me uh just loves uh loves that song and then i'm gonna have a scott canberg song there and i'm gonna go with date with ikea i love the big star shimmer uh and uh and and, and you know and the soaring chorus so those are my five uh okay the uh albums for me and um I'll probably be criticized uh, but it's okay uh wowie zowie 
And I said previously, my favorite is Bright in the Corner. So, I mean, I leave off Crooked Rain and I leave off Slanted and Enchanted, which I'm not sure there are many pavement fans who would say that, but here we are. So, Wowie Zowie and Bright in the Corners are, are, are my two albums. And of the songs, and this is really a band where, you know, you ask me five minutes from now, I might I might change this list because yeah. they were so good at, in so many different ways. And each of those albums are super strong in, in, in their own way. And so, where do you go? Well... Um, I think we'll start with with uh, with with range life, um, and one Jeff mentioned father to a sister of thought. I'll throw on there. I think stop breathing is on the list. Embassy Row from Brighton the Corners, and then I think the one left off of Brighton the Corners, Harness Your Hopes, is really one of the best pavement songs to give a listen to. Uh, so those would be my five, but don't ask me again in, in 10 minutes. Uh, Jeff, over to you. Well, I'm just sitting here looking at the man in the mirror because uh, 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 OJ, the original Jeff, the other Jeff, <laughs> has named my two favorite albums as well. And, of course, those are both Crooked Rain, Crooked Rain and Wowie Zowie. I, I, I really think that you, listen, you can make an argument for all four of Pavement's first albums, from Slanted all the way to Bright in the Corners, and, and, and nobody is going to look at you like you're crazy. You're not hot-taking if you prefer any one of those four albums. But for me, Crooked Rain is them at their, their, their shimmering and most immediately accessible and then wowie zowie is then just being you know you know combining that with that that, that unrepentant weirdness that is always something that that, that is truly appealed to me about pavement um my five songs <clears throat> again I, I will start the same place that uh actually you know what i won't i'll start with the obligatory uh, uh spiral stairs scott canberg song and i'll say that that would be painted soldiers and i'm gonna you know call you know uh, a shot here and say that i specifically demand that you hear not the original studio recording but rather the bbc steve lamock session version <laughs> of painted soldiers that's not hard to do it it's on the two CD Wowie Zowie reissue. Uh, it, it's not just because it's the most sort of one of the most gloriously shimmering power pop guitar numbers that they ever plays, but also because Malcolmus is, is really doing some like you know quietly fascinating counterpoint over uh, Canberg's guitars. Uh, I think the second song that I'll choose, I'll start with the Slanted and Enchanted era and say Trigger Cut. Uh, talked about why that was the song that made me fall in love with Pavement. The second one, of course, is Gold Sounds. The other one that really kind of cemented my love for this band, and and I think still to this day will you know call to me a time and a place, and you know an emotional feeling that very few other Pavement songs can truly do. Um, the third one would be AT and T from Wowie Zowie. Uh, again. Jeff makes this point. You, you could pick so many different songs from this album. I could have picked Fight This Generation. I could have picked Rattled by the Rush or Kennel District or, you know, basically anything except Extradition. And, and, and I would have felt good <laughs> with it. But AT&T is to me like one of the you know, defining moments of Pavement's greatness. And I guess I'll end by saying Finn from Brighton the Corners. Fiend, um, or, you know, basically Fleetwood Mac's Tusk. Uh, the guitar solo that Mountainous plays uh, at the end of that song, the way that song comes to its sort of final conclusion is one of the most 
sparklingly elegiac moments in their career. And it's one of those things that people who think that they don't have time for a hipster indie band that was beloved by the critics but never made it big. And so you're thinking they're going to be smug, annoying, and not worth your time. I'm just begging you from the bottom of my heart, please listen to this band, the best band of the entire decade of the 1990s. look at pavement we thank our guest from across the pond today jeff pojanowski who is a professor of law at notre dame law school also writes about administrative law legal interpretation and philosophy of law you can find him on twitter at pojanowski jeff thank you so much for joining us here on political beats thank you so much for having me this has been a blast and uh, my tag team partner jeff blair uh we, we got to one of your one of your favorite bands here very excited about that yeah, I am too, and uh, I guess I would say see you next time, although we may have a week's delay, given that there are certain uh, CPAC-related delays coming in the offing, I believe Pro- so. Professional commitments. Uh, professional commitments. So it may be three weeks until the next political beat. So Jeff and I will figure that out, and uh, of course, check our Twitter feed. We'll update you, at political underscore beats. Check out Jeff on Twitter, at EsotericCD. My name is Scott Bertram. Find me on Twitter, at Scott. Bertram, and we ask you, please subscribe to our feed. You'll find our new episodes delivered right to you. iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or TuneIn, or go to nationalreview.com. Click on podcasts and find everything that NR has to offer, including this fine program. Listen, enjoy, share with friends, and leave reviews. This has been a presentation of National Review. This is Political Beats. Political Beats.